For those of you who are considering starting a family, you need to know that something weird happens when you have a baby. And uh, I guess in fairness, there's a lot of weird things that happen when you, when you have a baby. Things are seen that cannot be unseen. Uh, it's my real-life horror movie. But uh, for our conversation today, there's one thing in particular that's kind of weird that happens when you have a baby that's helpful for us moving forward. It's a fascinating phenomenon because you know how like Superman uh, can, can hear danger. No matter what's going on around him, no matter the chaos, no matter the noise, whatever, he can, he can hone in on that one person who's in trouble or uh, like how Professor X, he can, he can like echolocate onto mutants around the world and just find what you, apparently all are nerds as, as, uh, as I am. But uh, it's, all, it's all true. Superman can, can find, Professor X can find that one. Well, one of the things that happens after you have a baby is a mother can pretty much do that same thing with her child. She can hear her baby's cry and know exactly where the baby is, where uh, if it's hers or not. Some call it instinct. Some call it a mother's intuition. I just call it unnatural. It's weird that a, a mother can identify her child just by hearing it cry. Even if multiple babies are present, despite the fact that they just met, a mother can identify her baby. Uh, it's not true just in humans either. I read an article that uh, sea lions breed in these huge colonies and the mothers recognize their pups by the sound of their cry. Among hundreds and hundreds of other pups, sea lion mothers can uh, recognize. They do not get confused and they will not nurse a pup that's not their own. The article said sea lions have been known to attack and even kill orphan pups who tried to nurse from them. It's a dangerous world as a sea lion, I guess. But uh, it's bizarre to me that a mother knows her baby's cry. I can remember shortly after having Lana, we went and hung out with some friends who had some uh, kids the, the same age as ours. And the older boys were in another room playing and we were all just hanging out and one of the boys started to cry. And the, my wife and the other gal, they, they, you know, began to decode the cry and, you know, enact superhuman mother hearing. And then one of them says, oh, don't worry, that's my kid. Like, all right, I don't know how you knew that. But uh, so mom, moms know their kids is crying. What else is interesting is that babies can actually recognize their parents' voice. The mother's voice, apparently all that time spent swimming around in there, did not go unutilized because they were listening besides growing and developing. It's remarkable. They can recognize their mom. They can even recognize their dads if their dads were in the picture. So this understanding of listening and recognizing is important for our conversation today because God has that expectation of His followers that you will recognize His voice. In fact, the disciples were so in tune with God and what He was doing. He, they were in such a deep relationship with Him. They could actually differentiate the voice of the Holy Spirit compared to the voice of an angel. Watch this. This is Acts eight twenty six. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So who's talking? An angel. 
an angel is talking. He says, an angel of the Lord said to Philip. And it doesn't say that the angel appeared to him. In, it just says that he heard the angel's voice. In other parts of Scripture, an angel will actually show up and then begin speaking. We do not get that from this text. It just says an angel said, but Philip knew it was an angel, so he did what the angel said. And then verse 27, so he started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The Holy Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So now who's talking? Holy Spirit. We had an angel. We had a Holy Spirit. So how'd he know the difference? Because, because catch this, first it was an angel talking, then it was the Holy Spirit talking. Furthermore, it's important to realize that Philip's not the one who wrote this book. Luke is who wrote the book of Acts. So Philip, as he's recounting the story to Luke, says, dude, the first brother that talked to me, that was an angel. The second guy, that was the Holy Spirit. You see, Philip was so close to God that he knew the sound of his Holy Spirit versus the sound of an angel. So here's my question. Do you? Could you differentiate the voice of the Holy Spirit as to the voice of an angel? According to the Bible, it's possible. I think I could make a case that we're supposed to be so plugged into God's Holy Spirit that we can recognize His voice. I think I could make a case that you should know when it's you talking to yourself when it's God talking to you, and when it's altogether something different talking. Bad fish or whatever. Who knows? What I find so persuasive about this is that frequently the Bible refers to the Holy Spirit as a blast of air. I like that because we need air to breathe. Air is all around us, which means, quid pro quo, you should be so close to God that when He weren't present, it would be like somebody closing the tank of a scuba diver. Somebody closing the tank of an astronaut. You know, ask Sandra Bullock and George Clooney how that ends. Not good, okay? The movie or the fact that they had no oxygen, but never mind. What's unfortunate is that not most Christians would describe their relationship with, with the Holy Spirit in that way. I read a quote from A.W. Tozer. He wryly said, If God were to remove His Holy Spirit from the church, it would take some churches months to notice. Ouch. So, bottom line, I don't want that to be our story. I don't want that for new anthem. I want this to be a place that is so in tune with God we know His voice. I want this to be a place where God's Holy Spirit is so necessary to our lives that we treat Him like oxygen. I just happen to believe that one second in the presence of God can radically change your life. So I want this to be a place where when people show up, they meet God. Amen, somebody. I mean, I hope you like the music. I hope your kids like Rhythm Kids. I hope you find the message riveting. But at the end of the day, I don't want you leaving here thinking, wow, that was a great show. I want you leaving here saying, good night, Irene. God was in that place. There's something different about that place. I want you bringing family and friends and telling them there's something different about this church. I want as many people as possible to come and experience all that God have, has to offer them. 
Keep in mind, the Bible says, uh, Jesus came so you might have life and have it to the full. There's fullness of life. God's not trying to keep anything from you. There's a point to everything that he's doing. That's why we're taking three weeks here to talk about the Holy Spirit. Because he's God's gift to you to guide you into this fullness of life that he's promised. So just to make sure we're all on the same page, if you weren't here the last time, what you need to know is the Holy Spirit is a someone, not a something. He's a who, not an it. The Holy Spirit is not a force. He's not just a voice. He's an actual figure that wants a relationship with you. Now, we get that from John chapter 16 when Jesus gives this great discourse to his disciples about the Holy Spirit. And during that conversation, he says, Jesus lays out three primary things that the Holy Spirit is going to do. There's a whole bunch of other things that the Spirit's going to do, but in this specific passage, Jesus tells us three things. He says the first thing that the Holy Spirit is going to do is he's going to convince you of your need for God. The word the Bible uses is convict. The Holy Spirit is supposed to convict you of sin. He helps you realize that you have not lived the way that you are supposed to live. You've not lived the way God wants you to live. And because of that, you're separated from God. And because God is only, always, continually, holy, and good, and perfect, and you're not, there's a chasm between you and God. So the Holy Spirit helps you realize that you're over here, God's over here, you need to be reconnected, and the only way to do that is through Jesus. Plus, the Bible makes it pretty clear that the penalty for you not living the way God wants you to live is death. However, since Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, and because he beat death, three days after he was murdered, he walked out of a grave. Now, by trusting in him, your sins can be forgiven, and you can live forever. I'm preaching about 30% better than you're responding right now. Because this is literally the greatest news in the history of the world. I know maybe some of you have never heard this before, and it all sounds weird, but it's the Holy Spirit who helps you realize that this is the one thing you need in your life. He speaks to you in your heart of hearts and says, this is what's true. That being said, the second thing we read in John chapter 16 from the mouth of Jesus shortly before he's executed is that the Holy Spirit is going to guide you in life. This is the passage, John 16, 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth. Part of that truth is convicting you of your sin, but part of that truth is to help you along your way into this fullness of life. Again, God's goal is to guide you as you walk along the path that He's laid out for you into fullness of life. God's way is better than your way. I'm sure on some level you know it's true. You might not be ready to verbalize it yet, but it's why you can't ever seem to find contentment. Now, sure, you find it for a little while, but then the new iPhone comes out, and now you're discontent with your old one. The new car comes out, now you're discontent with your old one. The better-looking boyfriend or girlfriend comes along. I mean, there's always something where you go, if I just had that, then I would be happy. But you get it, and then strangely, still, you're unsatisfied. 
Listen, my point is God's Spirit will guide you out of that discontentment if you'll just listen. The problem is we have a pretty hard time listening. Pretty much just like you and your kids and the relationship you had. Anybody else's kids never listen to anything that they have to say. 13 times a night you have to tell them to go brush their teeth. 15 times they come up from downstairs, despite the fact that you said, don't ever come up here again, ever. If there's a fire, you got a window, get out. I don't ever want to see your face again. <laughs> they don't listen. We're the same way with God. People always say, well, if God would just speak to me, I'd do whatever he told me. Listen, he has spoke to you. It's all right here. Everything you need to know, you can find in these pages. When you open your Bible, God opens his mouth. He's trying to guide you and direct you. When you gather here on a Sunday and the Bible is taught, you're hearing God's voice. When you're with your small group exploring the Bible, it's God who is moving. But we, like our kids, only listen to the parts we want to. What's cool about God is, in His infinite wisdom, He's built in a fail-safe for the fact that you choose not to listen. Because He knows that we, like all the people who have come before us, are always looking for a sign. God, show me a sign. God, speak to me. God, if I go to Starbucks and there's a Native American in a headdress, I'll know that that was you that set that up, right? It's ridiculous. I don't even know why. That's not even in my notes, but I just... I know you're real, God, if you just do something. And, and we're looking for a sign. God's going, I've given you my spirit. He's trying to lead you and guide you. That's his trump card. Oh, you want a sign? God says, ace of spades, boom, Holy Spirit, guidance, forgiveness, conviction, help, power. It's all available to you. All through the power of the spirit. Somebody say power. Book of Acts tells us that there's a God-given, God-orchestrated, God-ordained power available to you. It's Acts 1.8. It reads, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, there's a purpose to the power. We're going to explore that next week. But uh, right now, what I want to talk about is I want you to see and believe that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is available to you. You don't have to be trapped by addiction anymore. You don't have to struggle with depression anymore. You don't have to worry about your marriage anymore. Come on, somebody. You don't have to, you don't have to fear anything anymore. There is a power available to you. You don't have to be discontent anymore. It's all through the power of the Holy Spirit. The word the Bible uses when it's referring to power uh, if you know the, the New Testament is written in Greek, the Greek word for power is the word dynamis. It's where we actually get our English word dynamite. I find that interesting because apparently when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, He's going to find all the batteries and the paper clips and the chewing gum, and He's going to put those things together and blow up all the non-life-giving elements in your life. Which not only is that biblically accurate, but that was a solid MacGyver reference. <laughs> Pastoral bonus level achieved. Wow. Now, <laughs> in order to prove my thesis, which is the Holy Spirit wants to guide you with a 
C4 explosive power blasting out all the elements that are unlike God, like the, the Holy Spirit is going to break you down so that He might remake you. He's going to blow you up so that He might build you up. I need to show you two scriptures. Remember that the first rule of Bible study is we don't talk about Bible study. That's not true. The first rule of Bible study is Scripture interprets Scripture. And so we can't just take one Scripture and make it true for the entire uh, book of the or entire Scripture. So we, we need to look at Scripture in its entirety. And so uh, we need things to work together. So two passages. The first one is Zechariah 4, 6. It reads, The angel told me to give Zerubbabel this message from the Lord. You will succeed not by military might or by your own strength, but by my Spirit. In other words, when it comes to living a life and making decisions and achieving your goals, and in this case, having success, I would argue that it's for you as well, it's not your power. It's God's power. It's the Holy Spirit working in you, guiding you. That's what I meant when I said there's a fail-safe for you not listening. And it's God's Holy Spirit. That's His fail-safe. Now, pay attention because here's where it gets super interesting. Sometimes God's power will have to come from another place because you don't listen. So here's a second scripture I want to show you. If you brought your Bible, go ahead and grab it out because I want you to turn to this one yourself. There's a section in your Bible called the Old Testament at the beginning. Within there is a book called Esther. You need to find Esther uh, or click it on your cell phone, whatever you do. But Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther is how it will go. If you have absolutely no idea, there should be a table of contents at the front of your Bible. You can find a page number there. If you're in Job, Psalms, or Proverbs, hard left you'll get to Esther. You want the big number four. Let me uh, uh, catch you up on everything that's happening in the first three chapters. There's a king named Ahasuerus. Uh, You're looking for a name for your male child. That name is still available. Uh, Zerubbabel would be a close second if you'd rather that, but uh, biblically strong. But King A decides to throw a party like an epic party, a 180-day party. So that little barbecue you had in your backyard, I'm sure it was great. There was good food. Congratulations on the cornhole and horseshoes that you all played. But it was JV compared to what's happening here. Okay, You've never partied for six months straight. Okay, I'm sure there's that one time in college where it felt like that, but you had to go to class in between. Okay, so you have nothing uh, in your repertoire about this party that's happening here. Well, the Bible records for us that when our boy, King A, was, quote, merry with wine, he orders his queen, Vashti, to come in so that all the army generals and all the invited dignitaries can look at her and stare at her and marvel at her beauty. Well, she doesn't appreciate that. She says, I'm not some kind of show pony that can be paraded around. So she refuses. Well, this obviously makes the king mad. And all his adversaries say, hey, boss, we need to look for a new queen because if all the other women within the countryside hear that your queen disobeyed you, they'll start looking at their husbands with uh, contempt. And God knows we can't have women just doing whatever they want. 
It, listen, it's all true, okay? You look at me like I'm the one that said it. It's in here. Y'all should read the Bible, okay? Long story short, they phone up Donald Trump, have a Miss America pageant to select a new queen. This queen just happens to be a Jewish girl named Esther. The king doesn't know that she's Jewish. Through a random series of events, the king's advisors convince him that all the Jews need to die. They are inferior class of human beings. Let's make it mandatory. You see a Jew, you kill him. Esther's cousin, a guy named Mordecai, who's also a Jew, convinces Esther that she's going to need to help out, even though if she uh, visits the king without his consent, her penalty is death. Okay? So watch what Mordecai says to Queen Esther, chapter 4, verse 14. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Circle star, underline, highlight, whatever you do, for such a time as this. What does this have to do with you? What does this have to do with power? What does this have to do with the Holy Spirit? Well, you can see that God's going to do what God's going to do. Mordecai, through the power of the Holy Spirit, says relief and deliverance will come. Like help's going to arise from somewhere, but maybe God has you where he has you for such a time as this. Those words aren't just meant for Esther. They were meant for you as well. So, what does this mean moving forward? You might jot this down if you're taking notes. You can be as on fire for God as you want. You can be as on fire for God as you want. God doesn't force anything on you. Sure, there's power at your disposal, but you're not going, if you're not going to access it, that's your own fault. Queen Esther could have told Mordecai, hey, bro, you're on your own. Figure it out. I'm not going to risk my life for all this. This is not my problem. I'm safe. I'm good. I'm the queen. Got everything I need. But if you read on, that's not what happens. She, through the leading of the Holy Spirit, approaches the king in power, and it ends with her saving her people. So let me say this another way. You can lose the power, but you can't lose the Spirit. You can't lose the Spirit. You can absolutely lose the power. You know, you, you can be as on fire for God as you want. Well, a candle that's on fire is a lot different than a roaring forest fire. You tracking with that? First Thessalonians 5 reminds us that we cannot quench the Spirit. It says, do not quench the power of the Holy Spirit. Like, like, don't cut the wires on the explosion that the Holy Spirit is trying to cause in your life. It's for your good that He's blowing up the sin. It's, like I said, breaking you down so He can build you up. You, God will never tell you to do something He's not willing to help you accomplish. And again, His goal for you is to accomplish a good life fullness of life, which means, get this, only you can prevent yourself from being on fire. That's up to you. It's your choice. 
Here's how I like to think about it, mainly because I'm a shoe guy, okay? The power of the Holy Spirit is like shoe. You say, Pastor, you only buy shoes in a briefcase? No, I I don't discriminate, but some of my shoes do come in a briefcase. Uh, It's pretty awesome. Um, But... But you think about the power of the Holy Spirit being like a shoe. This, this shoe is not just pleasant to look at, which we can all agree that it is. Uh, there's also power within this shoe. The, the power in this particular shoe will give you the ability to dunk a basketball. Uh, that's not true. Don't try that. But, uh, but these shoes do possess, a po- possess power, but it's only to the one wearing them. It, it helps protect your feet. That's, that's the power of the shoe. The problem for most people that I know is uh, they, they try and put on the shoe, but they've got stuff in their shoe. Anybody else have stuff like this happen? Their kids put stuff in their shoes. Uh, we got this nightmare of a puppy. And the other day, or the, well, the other night, I was trying to take it outside. It was late at night, and I just have some slippers by the door. I try and put my foot in the slipper, freaking tennis ball in the slipper from the stupid dog. But this is what my kids like to do. They put cars and uh, G.I. Joes and whatever else in the shoe. But we constantly ask God, hey, God, I, wanna, I want your power. I want this power that Pastor Landon is talking about. And, and I know it acts like a shoe because he told me. And so we try and put the shoe on and we fill it up. And it's like, ah, I can't get all my foot all the way in, in the shoe. And it's because you have stuff in your shoe. What does this mean for your life practically? Uh, God's not going to burn what's already burning. Like if you're passionate about something else, then he's going to let you be passionate about something else. If there's something in your life that's filling up all the room and not leaving power, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit uh, and power into your life, God's not going to just blow that up without your permission. It works like a shoe. And he'll let somebody else use the power and accomplish the purpose that he initially set out for you. You get to decide. You can be as on fire for God as you want. Do you really want what the Holy Spirit is offering? I uh, read an interesting book that talks about some of the qualifications that Navy SEALs have to uh, go through in order to earn their tridents. The author was talking about the, the BUDS training, which some of you have maybe seen that on TVs. Uh, there's a series of training, and then they have what they call Hell Week, and they have to do all these crazy sorts of physical activities. But the, the point of the, the, the chapter within the book was that the physical activities that the Navy SEALs have to go through really aren't that physically challenging. The author wrote, the four-mile run has to be done in 28 minutes. You can do math. That's about a seven-minute mile. Well, then he used the example that in 2012, there were 3,200 races in the United States at that specific distance, four miles. And 1.5 million people ran at a pace faster than that. So the seven-minute mile isn't that excruciating. He said swimming is equally uh, attainable. He used the example that in 2013, Diana Nyad swam 110 miles from Cuba to the United States in 56 hours. 
she accomplished that. Well, that length is 50, over 50 times longer than what the seals have to do it. Uh, plus, she was 64 at the time. And so compare that to a 20-year-old you know, physical specimen trying to be a Navy SEAL. The author points out that the physical challenge of the SEALs are certainly amplified because of the relentless barrage of people yelling at you and the push-ups and the sit-ups that you have to do in between and cold water and sand and no sleep and not eating. But his point is, and I quote, if a person wants to do it, they can. The people who leave could meet the physical challenges. They just realized they didn't want to. They had different priorities. And it's why almost 90% of people that join the SEALs don't actually complete it because they realize in the grand scheme of life, they have different priorities. Let me ask you a question. What are your priorities when it comes to following God? Like how bad do you really want the Holy Spirit in your life? Like, how bad do you really want the blessing? How bad do you really want the fullness of life? Because make no mistake, it's hard. No different than becoming a seal is hard. Having sin blown up in your life, having things that you hoped nobody would ever find out about, getting a light shown on those things, that's never fun. An explosion is not soft. It's not quiet. It's not pleasant, but it's necessary. If you really want what God is offering, and look, God hates sin. The Bible says God opposes the proud. It says He abhors divisiveness. Paul writes that you can grieve the Holy Spirit with your sin. This is not ambiguous language. God is vehemently against you having sin in your life. So don't trifle around with it. Don't ask yourself, well, how close can I get to sin without actually sinning? God's going to cause an explosion and blow up that perspective in your life. I mean, you're not going to let your kids fiddle around with nitroglycerin, right? Maybe some of you would. I don't know. I'm not your... Do what you do. But but God's not going to let you fiddle around with the power of His Holy Spirit. Again, it's your choice. You can be as on fire for God as you want. Now, knowing what we know, which God wants to speak to you, He he wants you to have the ability to hear His voice and discern where He wants to guide you with His Holy Spirit. And much of that depends on how bad you want it. Like, you get to choose how on fire for God you, you want to be. So if we know all of that... If you are sitting here today and you're saying, well, I want to go all in. I want the power God has promised. How can Monday look different because you came to church on Sunday? Write this down. Don't say it. Display it. Don't say it. Actually do something about it. Display it. Here's what I mean. We live in a day of instant validation. Preparation is the opposite of what we value. It's like, oh, you didn't win any games on Saturday morning and your team got beat by 50 goals every single... Well, congratulations, here's a trophy, right? Have, have fun. Are you too lazy to walk out of your car and actually prepare a meal yourself 
go through a drive-thru. It'll only take six minutes. Oh, it took longer than six minutes? Don't ever go there again. Right? Go somewhere else because it shouldn't take that long. That's ridiculous. Don't ever come back. Instant validation. Instant gratification. Why save when you could charge? That's the message of America. And because of that, we have been so conditioned to think that way, instant gratification, instant validation. Most people believe that living a spirit-led life is like that, that God's just going to pop you in the microwave like popcorn, and you just as soon as it happens, it happens, and you're just good from that point on. But the reality is, is following God is a process. It's a slow cooker recipe. You know, not every time you read the Bible does something amazing happen. Not every time you pray does every single one of your prayers get answered. Not every time are you gathered in a community does something just God uh, only could do this transpire. It's up and down. I wish somebody would have told me that when I first started following God. That there's steps forward, there's steps back. The issue is, are your, is your trajectory up and to the right? Are you continually developing these habits because God's going to do something? I didn't put this in your notes, but it's Ephesians 5.15. You can see it here on screen. The author writes, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days, because there's going to be more than one opportunity, despite what Eminem told you. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Some of you have been there. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The words be filled here in the Greek are in the present imperative. Okay, don't worry about that. There's not a quiz. But what it means in the literal English translation, your, your Bible should read, but be being filled with the Holy Spirit. You can see why they just wrote be filled because be being filled doesn't make any sense. But think about it like a gas pump at a gas station. It's being filled with gas while simultaneously pumping gas into your car. That's what being guided by the power of the Holy Spirit should look like in your life. Constantly getting pumped in while constantly pumping out. I once heard a pastor say being guided by the Holy Spirit is like constantly living under the spout where the glory comes out. I like that. Partly because, you know, I have a pretty solid rap game from prior messages. Uh, but I also, <laughs> I also like it because uh, it's biblically true that, that this is a constant outpouring of God's Spirit in your life for the reason of you pumping it into other people. You've been blessed to be a blessing. This is an instruction for ongoing relationship. So let me give you an example of this as we close. You don't fill up your car with gas one time and then you're done for all of eternity as if there are some magic gas fairies who are, you know, multiplying what's in your tank. You drive forever. Yet too many Christians feel like following God is like that. Oh, I accepted Jesus. My sins are forgiven. I get a new life. I'm good. I'll just 
live however I want to live. It's why our boy Tozier said at the beginning of the message that God could remove His Spirit and people would never notice. Because instead of displaying the power they now have access to, most Christians are constantly on the brink of dying. They're red-line Christians. You know what I mean by a red-line Christian? Y'all heard of a red-line driver constantly driving on the red line of empty? My wife is a red-line driver. Okay, She just likes to get that baby as far down as she can go. Get to the gas station with like .01 gallons remaining. It's like a game to her. I don't know. She has this little feature on her van now called Miles Tell Empty. So as you're driving, if you get low on gas, it'll ding and say, you know, like 35 miles till empty. It'll ding again, 20 miles till empty. One day we were driving somewhere and it came on and she just kept driving. Ding, you know, 35 miles empty. Ding, 20 miles. At some point it just quits reading, okay? So after about the third ding, I was like, babe, you think we should stop and get some gas? She's like, I know my van. Okay, 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 well, I know how to read, and that thing's not saying we got any miles left, so you might want to pull over so we can get some gas, because I ain't pushing, right? I mean, it'd be you hot-footing it behind this van, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, I, I would have pushed, okay, I'm just, you know. But here's my point. You don't have to wait till empty to follow the Holy Spirit. You can fill up at three-quarters of a tank. It doesn't matter Fill up continually. Author says, be careful how you live. Make the most of every opportunity. You can be as on fire for God as you want. It's your choice. You can decide today, I'm leaving here by the power of the Holy Spirit. My life is different. I'm going to do everything I can to follow the path that God has for me. You get to decide. So don't just say it, display it. Now I know what you're saying. You're saying, Pastor, you normally give us practical things like that I can do as I leave here today, and I promise you I'm going to do it, but it happens next week when we talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that you can use these gifts for God's glory, but you've got to come back if you want to find out how to do it. Bow your heads, everybody, every eye closed. God, we're so thankful for the opportunity that we get to gather in this place. We believe in you. We believe in your Son. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. God, if there's anybody here today that's operating on that red line on the brink of dying, they need to follow you. God, I just ask that you speak to them right now. Encourage them. Fill them up with the power of the Holy Spirit. Do what you promised to do. If that's you, I'd invite you to pray with me and just say, God, I trust in you. Please refill my tank. Bless me to be a blessing. Help me overcome the difficulties that I'm facing. You promised me power. I declare it right now in Jesus' name. Others of you, you're here this morning. This is the first time you've ever heard this message. The Bible says if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that you can be saved. I want to give you a chance to do that right now. So I just ask you in your heart to say, God, I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry I've sinned. I'm sorry I've lived life my way. But I believe in Jesus that He died for me, that He rose from the dead. And because of that, I'm made new. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for new life. Thank you for power. Help me as I leave this place. God, we humbly submit our lives to you. Help us, encourage us, give us strength. Do what only you can do as we leave this place today. And everybody said, Amen.